As I walk amongst these foundations, I see concrete into solid rock, firm and sound. I remember walking amongst the foundations of the old city of Corinth. Rubble, not so firm, not so solid and grounded. Yet Paul writes to the people in Corinth in his first letter to the Corinthians. And we learn what's good about the church. God has built for us a solid foundation, sound and firm. Jesus is the head of our church. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? Doing well? What a privilege it is for me to be here to come and share from God's Word today. This is our final uh, Sunday in the sermon series, Firmly Founded and Safely Grounded, as we've journeyed through the book of Corinthians. There's still some amazing passages left that we haven't covered. It's so hard to cover 15 passages. Um, but this morning, before we start, let's pray. Let's draw near to God and actually ask Him to reveal Himself to us again this morning. Thank you, Father God, that you are so good. And Lord God, your word is so good for us. Lord, it nourishes us, it teaches us, it shows us who you are. And I just pray, Lord, as we open your word this morning, Lord, that you would again reveal yourself to us. Lord, reveal to us your glory, your majesty. Lord, help us to honor you and worship you in everything. Thank you, Father, for this day that you've given us. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done in us, we pray. Amen. Well, this morning's topic, just to wrap up this entire series, I think it really sums it up really well. This morning's topic is, what is good about food? <laughs> Did I land that? What is good about food? Well, okay, I'm going to tell you guys a story. Who here has ever had an uh, uh, opportunity or a situation where you were faced with eating something you weren't keen to eat? Hands up. I think most people can relate. So this takes me all the way back to my first month or two in Australia. So I moved from South Africa about seven years ago, and I moved into Australia. Australia is a very multicultural community, and one of Belinda's friends, her name was Emma, and her mum and dad are from, well, she is from Sri Lanka as well. And so we were invited over for dinner. And so in Sri Lankan culture, it is normally the food is quite hot. And this guy from South Africa has stayed away from hot food for all his life. And all of a sudden, I'm faced with an amazing meal, but filled with hot, hot curry and hot food. And in Sri Lankan culture, the way they, they give you food is as soon as you start eating some of your food, your food, the plate just starts adding on. So more food comes onto your table. And the more you eat of something, the more you get of it. And so I was trying the best I possibly could to finish this plate of food. And the more I was trying, the more I was sweating. And I was sweating almost tears and sweat rolling down my face. And Belini keeps asking me, are you okay? And I'm like, not really, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to try, right? And so that whole story, can anybody relate to that? Yep, people, some people can relate. Uh, so I am a little bit better with spicy food now. But the whole point of that story wasn't really about the spicy food. The point I was trying to achieve in showing uh, and eating the food was actually to show honor. 
I wanted to show honor to the, to the family that invited me over to their house. I wanted to show honor to the host and to actually eat the food that they provided, regardless of how I felt about it. But I wanted to do it in honor of the people whose house I was in. So the whole point of that story, again, is not really about food. And so this morning's passage, Paul really talks about food, but he's not actually talking about food. And we'll see it as we explore and go through this topic. So this morning's topic is actually about what is good about seeking to glorify God. What is good about seeking to glorify God, to give God all the glory in your life? So let's read together. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to start there in verse 23. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, do not eat it both the sake for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of your conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not actually yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in a meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? It goes on to say, so whatever, this is the passage we all know. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, Paul says, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Thank you, Father, for your word this morning. See, Paul, in his previous chapters, so from chapters 8 to chapters 10, there's, he talks about situations about food and what was happening in the context of the Corinthians. So let's take, let's take a step back. So the Corinthians were a, a new church, and there was lots of things in the church that Paul had heard about or they had asked him questions about, issues that were, they were facing. And Paul addresses these issues. And he takes them kind of one by one. And one of these issues was the issue regarding food and the food that came that was sacrificed to idols. So in chapter 8, Paul actually goes and talks about the issue of eating food in pagan temples. The reality is that other people might actually see you. So if you are in a pagan temple where they're worshiping other gods, and you are there and you've been given food to eat, and you eat the meat that was offered and sacrificed to idols, others might look at you, Christians and non-Christians might look at you and say, well, is it okay then for me to worship other gods as well? Well, if Jesus is king and he is Lord, no, we should only worship and honor him. And we should do things that only worship and honor him. And in this chapter, Paul actually talks about when meat was sacrificed to idols, but now that meat is being taken home, sold at the meat market, and has been taken home into homes, private homes, uh, especially when uh, it's a home of an unbeliever. And so we invited into someone's house, and they put this meat in front of you. And so 
what is your response? Well, this meat was sacrificed to idols. Should I not then eat it? No, actually, what Paul's trying to say, whatever we do, we should glorify God. So he's encouraging us to actually say, no, well, I want for the good of the unbeliever, the person's house I am in, I want to bring them honor and show them honor and eat the food that they've given me. Because God is the one that made it all in the first place, right? So the, the question is, what is good about seeking to glorify God? I think the first and foremost point that I want to make today is the fact that we as humans were created to glorify God. We were created by God to glorify Him. We all have that same calling to glorify God in everything that we're doing. And that's why it says in Scripture, it says actually in Isaiah 43, it says, everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God created you for His glory. And secondly, we see in Psalms, it, it speaks so much of it. The entire creation that God created outside of man also glorifies God. We see it in every sunset and every sunrise. We see God's glory. We look up to the stars and we see God's glory portrayed for us. Beautifully so, every day, we just have to look outside. In Psalm 66, it says, All the earth worships you, God, and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. And what's our response? In Psalm 99, verse 5, it says, Exalt our Lord God. Worship at His footstool. Come to Him, for He is holy. That should be our response. Our response should be to glorify God. So what does this word glory actually mean? I think it's important for us when we talk about, oh, if we want to seek to glorify God, what does glory actually mean? The word glory is heavy in weight. It is something that's heavy in weight. So the verb then to glorify something means to give weight to, to give honor to. So this morning, if we're talking about glorifying God, it means to honor God in everything that He has given us. To honor Him as the Creator. To give weight to Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So in order for us to glorify God, it's actually to recognize who He actually is. To recognize Him and respond appropriately to that. The Creator, the awesome, magnificent, wonderful, powerful God. See, our purpose as humans is the reason why God created us was to worship Him and glorify Him. God delights in us, turning to Him, praising Him with sincere hearts and declaring that all glory does, in fact, belong to Him. This whole book of Corinthians, Paul is instructing the Corinthians, these young Christians, and is explaining to them how different issues they're facing in the church, that somehow they've missed it. Some of them have missed actually what it means to glorify God and to live according to the way God wants him to live. He actually starts off in the first Corinthians chapter one, verse two, and he says, to those that are sanctified, for all those that have become Christians, for all those sanctified in Jesus Christ and called to be his holy people. That is how God addresses us. That is how God sees us. So we are created to glorify him. When Paul actually addresses these issues in the church, he reminds us that 
actually in everything, the gospel comes first. Christ changes everything. And when it comes to our lives and how we ought to live, Christ changes everything. And so what should become this new filter for us? How do we make decisions in our life? If you have to face a decision on Monday, how do you make that decision? Well, the gospel should be the filter through which we make decisions. Decisions about work and about life and about what we eat and drink. The gospel should be our focus and should be the filter through which we structure our lives. In this passage in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, whatever you do, regardless of what it is, whatever you do, whether you're sitting or standing, whether you're lying down, whether you're sleeping, do it all for the glory of God. Sometimes it's a bit harder for us to see how we can glorify God through our work. But if you ask yourself that question, how do you bring honor to, if you think about glorifying God, it means to bring honor to Him. How do we bring honor to God in our work? How do we do that from Monday all the way through to Friday? Maybe we would start living differently if we actually asked those questions. How do, am I going to honor God in the way that I drive my car? <laughs> Why'd you say that? I'm not going to put a bumper sticker on my car saying that I'm a follower of Jesus, right? Because then I can drive however I want. We spoke about it a few weeks ago. How are you honoring God with your sexuality? It's a tough one. How are you honoring God with your body and the way you treat it and the way you live? Whatever we are doing is a glorifying and honoring to God. See, at the core, if as Paul addresses all these issues, at the core of these issues, he brings it back to the gospel. Whether there were disputes, so up there, there's the list of the bolded ones, is, is what was happening in the Corinthian church. They had disputes and disagreements. And Paul was saying, come back to the gospel. It's not who's, which leader is, is the one you want to follow. Come back to the gospel. And if you disagree, do it in a way that honors God. Sexuality. Are you living your sexuality in the way that God intended it to be? When we gather as a church, are we doing it in a way that is honoring and glorifying to God? And if we are eating, are we doing it in a way that brings God honor? See, Christ changed everything. Because of Jesus coming, living his life here on earth, going to the cross and dying for our sins, he made a way through which you and I can be made right with God. And Jesus didn't come and die for some. He came and died for all, that all might come to know him. And it's that amazing love of Christ that helps us and propels us and compels us in the way we should live. In Luke 9, it says, deny yourself. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. See, Jesus and his sacrifice who changed the entire way of how you live your life. And in this context that Paul was writing into this issue regarding food, that same situation actually plays out in various different parts of our lives. 
says in verse 24, it says, No one should seek the good, his own good, but the good of the other person. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. If we actually live that way, how amazing would it be? What a community of believers we would have if we actually genuinely lived that way. If we didn't seek our, our own good or lived in selfishness, but actually cared about those around us, genuinely cared. Imagine if we made our lifestyle choices shaped around that, choices for the good of others. And then we actually in turn will glorify God and bring Him glory. And then verse 33, Paul says as well, Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. In 1 Peter 2, it says, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, among all believers or non-believers in our city, in the same way, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Conduct yourselves honorably. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let your light shine, Jesus encourages us to do. But then the final point, and I think this is the hardest one of them all, is this point of following Christ's example. It's actually interesting in the way that they've set out the scripture. If you look at the end of chapter 10, there it's almost like the chapter finishes, but then there's a one line, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. There's a one-liner, and it's almost got nothing to do, or it does have everything to do with the next part of the chapter, but in some ways it's kind of set apart, stood out. And this is what Paul says, so bold. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. My challenge to each of us this morning, can you say that? Can you truly say that? Can you say that with all honesty in your heart? Come and follow my example. Come follow Pierre and I will show you Jesus. Can you actually say that about your public life? Maybe. But what about your private life? What about the way that you conduct yourself behind closed doors? Are you living in a way that actually honors and glorifies God? That shows the example of Christ Jesus himself. What a bold statement. See, I believe that it's actually not physically possible in our own strength. To follow Christ's example is not physically possible in Pierre's own strength. And that's the power of the gospel, isn't it? That the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in us when we accept Jesus. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, lives and dwells in you if you're a believer of Jesus. And it's by that power that we can live an example of Christ. Not by our own strength. Who here this morning uses a phone? Cell phones? Yep. Hands all over the place. We can't live without them. What is the most frustrating thing about a phone? 
Sometimes when you forget your phone on loud and it rings really loudly somewhere, yes, that's very frustrating. But the worst thing about a cell phone is when the battery is flat. Do you agree? When your battery is flat and you've got something to do and you don't have a charger, your battery is flat. It's useless in some ways. And I think similarly, it is with us, without the Holy Spirit. We're not useless. We're still created by God, designed by God. But what God desires for us is that we actually turn to Him. And when we repent and give our lives, surrender our lives to Him, and He fills us with His Holy Spirit, that is when we become the empowered church. That is when you become an empowered person living out for Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit. Then it's no longer that hard to ask, God, how can I honor you in my work? Because God will show it to you through His Spirit. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that lives in us today. So the, the secret to actually desiring to glorify God is actually found in us surrendering, us repenting, us understanding our need for God, allowing Him to lead us, allowing His Holy Spirit to transform us, to do the deep work in us. Who can tell me our mission statement as a church? What is it? Following Jesus, reaching people. Jesus was clear on about following him. It means to deny yourself, to submit to God, to take up your cross and to follow him. And what would be the result of that? That's what I love about our mission statement is because the one results in the other, doesn't it? When we are truly following Jesus, when we are truly bringing honor and glory to Him through the power of the Holy Spirit, what will happen? What will happen? People will be reached for God. See, in our community, following Jesus, reaching people. In our community, soon we will have 200,000 people living in Townsville. And of those, of what we can gather from, from just doing our research, only about 5,000 people are actively participating in churches in our city. There might be some people that are in home churches or other Christians that don't attend churches. And if you look at the census, this is quite accurate, that only about 4% of people in our city are following Jesus. I don't know if you know that. There's so many lost people in our city. There are people that are lonely and broken, hopeless, in need of a savior. The thing is, so often we think, well, people aren't open to Christianity. People aren't open to asking hard questions. People aren't open to having discussions about why you have hope. Well, this is what the studies have found within COVID. During COVID-19, Australians are spending more time, 47%, thinking about the meaning of life. 40%, 47% more people are actually thinking about the meaning of life, asking those questions. See, our world has had a massive pandemic and people are asking questions. But where is the church to help them to answer these questions? 47% of people are thinking about their own mortality, thinking about life and death. And 33% of people are thinking about God. 
Those statistics are true. 33% of people in Townsville are currently thinking about God. Thinking, 47% of them are thinking about the meaning of life. And 28% of them are praying. That is massive statistics, massive changes in in the spiritual reality of our country. And so my challenge to us this morning is are we willing to share? Are we willing to follow Jesus, live the life that God is calling us to live, glorifying Him in everything that we're doing? And as a result, people will see your life. They will see God's glory shining out of you. And they will ask you, why do you have hope? Peter says, always be ready to share the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. I think so often our first thing that we our first response to that is we have a fear of rejection. Sometimes we also we even hide behind the fact that we say we have a fear of them rejecting Jesus. Oh no, I've done this myself. Fear they might reject us, but also fear they might reject the cross. Or fear that sometimes can even result in pride. Where we say well, I don't think they want to hear the message anyway. They, don't, they can't be bothered, so why should I be bothered? All of a sudden, we put ourselves on a more horrible, not high ground, put ourselves as more worthy as them, than them. I believe that love drives out fear. If we allow the love of God to reign in our hearts, that love will result in compassion. Compassion for the lost. Compassion for the broken, the lonely, the hopeless. That love of God results in compassion. And our eyes will change the way we see people around us. We'll see them with love and compassion, in need of a savior, in need of hope. And that brings us to this Christmas season, doesn't it? As we step into the month of December, all of a sudden there's carols everywhere. People are decorating, things are happening. And I think arguably it might be one of the most significant times of the year to share the message of Jesus. I would have loved it to be Easter. But the reality is our whole community changes. Everybody starts gearing up for Christmas. The shops are going crazy. People are obviously looking for something to fill that void inside their hearts. So who is the one person you can share with this Christmas? Who's that one friend that you know that does not know the gospel and doesn't know God who can, you can share with this Christmas? The reality is we never know the impact and we don't do it for the impact because that's for God's glory. But you never know the impact of having that one conversation. What about the person that had the conversation with Billy Graham? How many, 60 million people, I think it's more, came to know Jesus through the Billy Graham Crusades? How amazing is that? And we, we hear about the person, the evangelist that spoke to Billy Graham at, at, the, at the revival tent they had. But we don't actually hear often about the friend, the friend that actually got him there. So there was a friend that actually said to him, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm keen to go to this thing, but you can actually use my car. And so Billy took the car with a bunch of people on the back and they all went there that night. 
And when he heard about the gospel truly for the first time, he was, he was gripped with it. And the work of the Holy Spirit entered into his heart and continued to transform him and change him and actually made him an powerful evangelist. The reason why I share that story is not because we want to do things that can have impact. No, that is God's for God's glory. That is God's job. It's God's work. But we have been entrusted with a message, the good message of Jesus. And we know how that message has transformed our hearts and our lives and has given us a hope, an eternal hope. So we have a responsibility, an amazing responsibility, to partner with God and His work in this world and to share that message this Christmas to our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues. So what is good about seeking to glorify God? The reality is if we seek to glorify God, out of that, others will come to know God too. Following Jesus results in us reaching people. So how are you going with your faith this morning? Can you truly say, come follow me and I'll show you Jesus? It starts with surrendering your life. It starts with surrendering at the foot of the cross and asking God to change you, transform you and shape you into the person of Jesus so that others may see his glory. We're going to sing an amazing Christmas carol this morning to take us into this Christmas season. And this is the words of this carol. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. There is a thrill of hope. And the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. So how should we respond? We should fall on our knees. We should hear the angels' voices. It's a night that's divine. It's a night that Christ was born, a night divine. That is what we're celebrating this Christmas. The God of heavenly hosts sent His only Son, Jesus, because he loved us so much, he didn't want us to end in a crisis eternity. He sent his son to die for us, to pay the price of sin, so that we can find life and abundance in him. Let's sing this morning and let's honor God as we desire to glorify him. Let me pray. Thank you, Father, for your amazing love for us. Lord, regardless of where we are and what we're doing and how sinful we might be, Lord God, your love for us never changes. Lord, I pray, Lord, that your love for us this morning would be so real that we would respond in surrender to you. Father, acknowledging that we are in need of you. And Lord, we do not have enough strength to glorify you without you. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit. So Lord, let us allow your Holy Spirit to do the deep work in us. Change us from the inside, Lord, so that your light may shine through us. And Lord, when others see it, they might glorify you.